None of what you're about to hear is inspired by a true story. It is a true story. My name is Reed Domingo, and I robbed 12 banks in San Diego, California. I didn't hurt anyone. I never wanted to. I did it all for love and to pay for the devastating debts racked up from the costs of IVF needed for my wife and I to start a family. Let me tell you about how I reached such a point in my life, the wonderful things that happened to me before, during, and after the robberies, and how I found redemption by helping others during my time in prison. So here then, in my own words and in my own voice, is my story. So what? Just give them the money. Pay attention! I have to make this absolutely clear to you! If you do anything that interferes with the execution of this bank robbery, let me tell you, you will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law by the bank. We had now moved to Los Rios. Everything seemed perfect in my life. I had my soulmate. I had the woman that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. The only thing that was missing was a child. Patrice and I talked long and hard about having a child. Patrice's situation was different from mine, obviously, as she had three children. I had none. Unfortunately, after Patrice's third pregnancy, while she was having a caesarean, her physician casually asked, oh, are you planning on having any more children? No, probably not, actually, Patrice thought. He indicated, okay, that would probably be $200. And with that, she had her tube tied. That $200 was going to cost me a heck of a lot more to rectify. One thing I will always give Patrice credit for is that when we were going through this, she knew how much I wanted to have a child. And she did tell me with all sincerity that if she was unable to give me a child that she was prepared to let me go and seek that goal with somebody else. Obviously, that was not something I wanted to entertain. I wanted to have a child with Patrice. We went and saw her physician and asked what options we had. We were looking at more serious situations happening between us, but at that time when I had my last child, I had my tube tied, and I said, I don't know if I could have a child. And you're still young, you know, and I'm not, I might not be able to have children with you. And, and at that time it was like, oh, it's okay. No, it's fine. You know, your kids and fine. I thought, no, I just, you know, I don't, you know, you might change your mind later on and I don't want to feel, um, uh, responsible or I don't want to have that burden of like, oh, I couldn't give you a child. And, and, you know, because you're such a nice person, you're like, oh, no, it's okay. But then maybe there'll be, in, you know, a piece of you inside later on, like, God, I wish I would have had a child, you know? So I didn't want that. But um, so, you know, we decided, okay, I'll talk to my doctor and we'll see, you know, what they can do. So my doctor at that time was like, yeah, no problem. They, they all knew Reed. Because a lot of the doctors worked at the facilities, they knew Reed, they knew me, they knew how happy I was, they knew us as a couple, everybody knew us, um, and it was great. Um, 
And then I talked to him and he's like, yeah, no, we can reverse the tube. Yeah, no problem. Surgery. Yeah, we just put it back together. Uh, and he said, you know, we, you know, we do that a lot, you know, so it's kind of a natural birth control when you're ready to have kids, then, you know, just put the tube back together. Psh, really? Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that's good. So we gave it some more thought. We thought, okay, if we do get serious, at least we can, I can go have the surgery and get that reversed. And if we do want to have a child, then we can. So we thought, okay. So that was the thing that I wanted to hear to make sure uh, before we got too much more involved where it would have been really hard. It was relatively simple, he said. Your only problem is you need to find a way to get that egg to your uterus. If you don't have a fallopian tube, then you guys would be ideal candidates for IVF. What is IVF? Oh, it's in vitro fertilization. Even for us, this was something kind of new. We hadn't heard of it before. We went to a fertility clinic in San Diego, actually not that far from our house. Meeting with the specialist there, they actually thought, again, we would be great candidates. We were both young, in good health, athletic. And again, the only reason that we were having to look at IVF was simply one of logistics. And the big, big plus for Patrice was the fact that she had already carried three pregnancies to full term with no problems whatsoever. Oh yeah, you guys are perfect. And in fact, they were really looking forward to us being a part of their program as they knew that we would add to their success rate. So we paid our 15000 and we were on our way. We were so excited. Everybody we were talking to, and even with ourselves, we knew this was going to work. The interesting thing was, also to save a little bit of money, uh, they asked if I would be prepared to give Patrice her injections every day. There was a total course of about mm, four, five injections that Patrice had to endure every single day. Three of them would be deep intramuscular injections using a needle that was about one and a half inches long. Reason being, the hormonal medication is oil-based. And as such, you need a really thick needle to get the oil to travel down it. The other two for a substance called heparin, which is basically just an anticoagulant for the blood. Now that we were on the cycle, everything was going exactly as planned. Every milestone that we had to pass, we passed with flying colours. We were so excited. By the time it came to the harvesting, Patrice had a total of eight eggs. Not bad. Could have been a bit better, but again, that's enough for us. I did my little bit. The quality of my sperm seemed really good. When they did the fertilization, we had an 80% success rate. We now had six embryos. When it came to the actual embryo transfer, they decided to take the best five and put them all in. Five embryos? Yes, yes, let's give ourselves the best chance of having a pregnancy. And once we've got actual pregnancies, we can always do a thing called selective reduction, where we can go in and reduce your embryos from five to three to two to whatever you want. I remember after the transfer, we went back to the house and Patrice was just resting in bed. You couldn't wipe the smiles off our faces. We were giddy talking about what happens if all five take? Do you want to have five kids? <laughs> Obviously not. Well, 
I know, let's see, let's cross that bridge when we come to it. But either way, we were so excited. It was just after Christmas, and we thought, oh, I wonder if Santa has brought us what we wanted. We went into the clinic, and they did the blood test. All right, you guys go home. We'll call you in about two or three hours and give you the news. The anticipation of hearing them say, you're pregnant, was palpable. We sat there by the phone, waiting. That's it. You answer it. No, no, you answer it. I gave the phone to Patrice. I watched the face. I was riveted, waiting to see her just smile. Then I saw her face was more solemn. Okay, I understand, she said. Hung up the phone. She didn't have to say anything. I already knew. She wasn't pregnant. So then we started, we started going through all the procedures, uh, reversing the tube, the surgery, um, doing you know, fertility stuff to help you know, increase the, the cycles. Uh, and yeah, didn't work. Didn't work, wasn't working, didn't work. Do this, we'll do that. Oh, let's do more. Didn't work, didn't work. But when you're on heightened and controlled amounts of hormones, they're really, I mean, you're rolling. I mean, you are just, whoo, and then, then it's gone. And then you get this big drop. So probably the fact that I was still, at those times, still teaching, still trying to do a lot of stuff, still managing a lot of stuff, helped keep my mind off of it. But once we got closer where we were doing the IVF, you had to be careful about implantation, even though they said, eh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, you can do what you want to do. But it was like, this is so intense and so much money that it started to, we started having to use a lot of money for the sessions. And I think at that time, they just kept ramping me up, ramping me up, ramping me up, trying to get my body to produce more and more and more. Uh, and so I think at that time I was at their highest protocol. So it was about 12,000 just for the medicine, not even the procedure, 12,000 for the medicine. Yep. Per cycle. Yep. So, and it was involved daily shots, sometimes 10 shots a day, uh, all different types of stuff, constant medicines coming in. You were completely controlled every aspect of all your hormones, everything, you know, this time we're giving this, at this time you have to have this, and then you have to do a surge of that. Then you, because things that your body normally does without even knowing about it, that now all has to be given. And Reed was the one that had given me all the shots, big shots, shots in the hip, shots in the arm, shots in here, shots in my belly. I was just black and blue all over the place. And some of them were the heparin shots. So they bruise, they thin out your blood. It just, so then with teaching and working out, all that kind of stuff really became a challenge because it's like, here, we're putting all of this in. And if I, you know, do that, then we're, we're sacrificing everything. So at that time we moved out of that. Uh, and then I gave up my position and then I opened up my own business that we could do, you know, work from home in a sense, or my own business, that we could still do all of this. And if we needed to take off and have time, because then we eventually ended up in Los Angeles. We were devastated. How can that be? But they told us, they told us that we were the perfect candidates for IVF. 
What are we going to do? Oh, you know what? We're going to do it again. They did say, you know, obviously their success rate's about 40%. So, well, you know, obviously it wasn't this time. But next time, definitely. With the little money that we had left, we realized, okay, we have to wait a couple of months to allow the cycle to run through its completion. And then we could do it all over again. When we went in for our second consultation, they explained the things that they would do differently. The most important thing was that they were going to increase the level of medication that Patrice took previously to help stimulate her to produce more eggs. They were hoping for something more around 12 to 15 eggs as opposed to the eight she had the first time. They doubled the hormonal medication that she was on previously. Again, I had to administer those injections. This time when we went to harvest the eggs, voila, 12 eggs. Now we're talking. Again, when we did the fertilization, 80% fertilization rate. This time we had nine, nine embryos. When it came to putting the embryos back, this time we chose to put six embryos back and freeze three. We went through the whole procedure again. This time, it's going to definitely work. They told us. When that time came, another failure. She's not pregnant. We kind of had a day of mourning for our unsuccessful attempt. And then we already started planning for the next time. Are we going to do it a third time? Of course we are. Of course we are. Two times we weren't successful, absolutely. It's guaranteed. The odds are in our favor this time. I could already see that we were becoming obsessed. We had to get a child. I think one of the things that really stung for us was the fact that we'd spent all this money and we had absolutely nothing to show for it. With a lot of juggling, we were able to raise the money for a third attempt. The cost just seemed to be escalating. We went through a third cycle. Again, failure. I think both of us really felt bad for the other. Patrice felt bad that she was unable to give me my child. And for my part, I felt really bad for Patrice. She was now enduring hundreds of injections. And all of this hormonal medication was causing some very significant changes to her physique. All of these hormones are basically tricking your body into believing that you're pregnant, preparing you to carry a child. But for whatever reason, it just was not working. We decided to take out a second on the house. We had good equity and we had good credit. Before we knew it, that second also turned to a third. The amount spent to achieve our goal was spiraling at an exponential rate. We were paying in the region of three to $4,000 a month to service some of the debt that we had on the credit cards. I can't remember which summer it was, but we decided to take a trip to England. We actually went to Bourne Hall in Cambridgeshire, and we met with the team that was Steptoe and Edwards, the original pioneers of IVF. They had brought Louise Brown into this world in 1978. If anybody was on the cutting edge 
of IVF, it would be those at Bourne Hall. We brought all of our medical records and they sifted through it and at the end there was nothing that they could see that we were doing wrong or even that they could suggest that we try differently next time. To them it too just seemed like bad luck. Bad luck? How can that be? Money was definitely running out for us. We had no money. I'm, what am I saying? We basically had to sell things. And let's not forget, this was the early 90s. And IVF was not considered a solution to a life-threatening situation. As such, our medical insurance company considered it experimental and thus elective. To that end, the total cost would absolutely be our burden. Unfortunately, we'd gotten into a sort of a routine of going through a cycle of IVF, getting some bad news, and going through a mourning period. We'd now got it down to one day of mourning, and then we get right back on that horse. With the debt associated with this just rising, I went to my father. I'm sure, surprisingly for a lot of people, my dad wasn't really that sympathetic to our plight. I asked my dad to help me, and in a nutshell, he said no. I needed $20,000. Finally, my dad said, OK, I'll give you the 20000 but it will be in the form of a loan. I know you have a rental property in San Diego. When you sell that property, you will return the $20,000 to me. No problem, Dad. Of course I'll do that. I would have said anything to raise money at that time. With that, 24 hours later, there was $20,000 sitting in my account. This was going to be our ninth attempt. We eventually ended up in Los Angeles at uh, this doctor that was doing cutting edge. He was South African. And there was a bombing at one of the governmental buildings uh, back east someplace. I forget what it was. But they bombed a... Um, a daycare center, and a lot of children, unfortunately, passed away. And there was a couple there that were going through IVF. It was a big story, uh, super sad, and their child was in there. And they said, we don't have the money, and we lost our child. He stepped forward, and he said, you know, you come over here, I'll take you, and I'll do it for free, you know, just to help you guys. So he made the news, and he was saying all these cases and different people, and that's what he does, cutting edge. And I thought, wow, maybe we should go see him. So we did, and uh, uh, there's a lot of celebrities in this office, top-notch, but we thought, this is the guy. And they're like, yeah, no problem, yeah. You know, it's kind of like, oh, that stuff in... You know, San Diego, oh yeah, they're way behind time. No, we're, we're cutting edge. But with his clientele, I've, I felt so. Um, so we started the procedures with him. And that's why it ramped up even more. Well, the cost, I was already kind of maxed out. It was more, but it was just the fact of um, we were going, the drive, the time, you got to do a lot of labs, two and a half hours to drive up there two and a half hours to drive back, you know, so I was trying to set up a business, you know, help us, you know, income wise, try to keep our insurance, try to have some of the stuff paid for. It was just, there was a lot going on. My friend Steve came to me and said, you know what, Reed, 
have you ever heard of a thing called day trading? No, what is that, Steve? It's where you buy and sell stocks on an intraday basis. You can buy stocks in the morning, sell them during the day, but absolutely categorically at the end of every day, win or lose, you close out your positions and start afresh the next day. How, how do we do that? Then Steve explained everything to me. To become a day trader, we first had to participate in a one-week tutorial course, predominantly to learn how to manipulate the software. Thereafter, each of us would have to deposit $50,000 into a joint account, then we'd be away. Before we could amass the money, we decided to practice. Every morning at 5 o'clock, Steve would come and collect me, and we would drive downtown, sit in an office, and wait for the markets to open at 6 a.m. That's 9 a.m. in New York. The screens we would be working with were the actual trading screens that everybody in the business uses. The goal was to buy stocks and shares in 1,000 share blocks, wait for an incremental rise of a quarter point, if you're lucky, maybe a half a point, and then you sell it, making your 250 to $500 with each transaction. Obviously, they gave us tools and taught us techniques to sort of predict where the stocks were going to be moving. Over the next three months, we went there every morning, Monday to Friday, followed the market, and honed our skills. Come April, I was consistently making about $1,000 a day. If you work that out, in an average year, you should be making somewhere in the region of $200,000. Not a bad sum at all. We were all ready to go. We were going to share an account. It was at that time that Steve took me aside and told me that he didn't want to share an account with me. He felt it would be too problematic for us both to be dipping into an account at the same time. Although it wasn't what I wanted to hear, I did understand what he was saying. The situation that that left me in was that we were selling our rental home, but I would have to take every single penny that we made from that house to be able to cover the 100,000 buy-in. 20,000 of that belonged to my dad. I talked to Patrice and convinced her that now would not be the time to tell my dad what we were doing. If things followed our plan and I was making $1,000 a day, it wouldn't take too long for us to amass the $20,000 back and then we could give it to my dad. Obviously, Patrice, the dutiful wife that I had, said, whatever you want to do, Reed, it's your money and it's your dad. Going into the trading office on my first live day of trading, I was so apprehensive. This is going to be real. If I could make $500 a day, I'd be so happy. It would be a positive start. I don't know if the trading guards were with me or against me, but I bought a stock and unbelievably, in 15 minutes, I have made $6,500. I executed the sale and I was done. I'm going to be the next Warren Buffett, I thought. This was my destiny. 
Here I was looking to make five hundred, possibly a thousand dollars. I made six thousand five hundred in fifteen minutes. I closed my day and went home and celebrated with Patrice. As a consequence, I now threw all of my trading techniques out the window, and I was in there playing fast and loose like I was at a Vegas craps table. Over the next month, I had some awesome days, making ten thousand, fifteen thousand, and then Memorial Day, the end of May. I'd gotten into a couple of stocks, and unfortunately, they turned against me. I was so arrogant at the time. I thought. So what? I'm just going to leave them there. When I talked to other people in the office, they had reassured me. Oh, the stocks always bounce after Memorial Day. It has for the last fifteen years. It's almost like a bonus time for everybody. So I let my stocks ride. I came back after Memorial Day, and when the markets opened, everything was tanking. Before I knew it. These stocks were against me to the tune of twenty and thirty thousand dollars. I was frozen. I was petrified. I did not know what to do. My birthday came and went. It was again a blur. When I next went into the office, I was taken aside and told, "Reed, you've got a margin call against you. You have to liquidate your positions." Because your equity is pretty much gone, I asked them, "So where am I at?" And they told me, "If you sell everything right now, your trading account has a net value fifteen thousand dollars." In less than two months, I'd basically lost it all. I didn't know if I should speak to Patrice. What was I going to say? How was I going to explain to her that I'd lost everything that we had? Again, maybe the best thing to do was talk to my dad. If we could come up with a plan, then at least when I explained it to Patrice, I had something that we were going to do. I took the phone, I went up the stairs, and I went into the grove. As always, it was hot up there. Hi, Dad. It was funny. It was one of the few times that I spoke to my dad, and he was actually happy to hear from me. It was just past my birthday, so maybe he was still happy for that. What's up, son? Dad, I've got to explain something to you. I told my dad about the day trading, and that I'd used the money from the rental house. But you couldn't have, son. What do you mean, Dad? If you'd sold your rental house, you would have paid me my twenty thousand dollars. I know, Dad. I used your money to open my trading account, and now, unfortunately, I've lost it all. There was silence. That's it. You're on your own now. Don't call me. Don't contact me. I have nothing more to do with you. I knew, not to plead, not to beg with my dad. It would all be in vain. With that, I said, "Okay, dad." And hung up the phone. Prophetically, that was the last time I would talk to my dad for ten years. 
This is Barbara Spencer reporting live for KWB-TV from Lincoln High School here in the East County. At this time, we have been asked to communicate to all parents to please not try to get to the school as it has been completely closed off to all public access. In addition, for all citizens of San Diego County, be advised that all unassigned police patrol units have been redirected to the East County. Police response to any matters outside of this area will be affected accordingly. Whenever possible, please do not call for police assistance as response times are significantly impacted. Back to you, John, in the studio. Hearing that? Ping, ping, ping. I turned off the hobs because it was time to go rob a bank in the North County. 